Jameson Brimblebanks picked up the flat shard of stone, once sharp, now considerably duller, and scratched another line, roughly ten centimeters high on the wall. The sound woke Midnight, the one-eyed black cat, from her dreamless slumber, and she walked over to rub herself against Jameson's shins. Yes, I think so, Midnight. But let me count them up again, just to be certain. Five, ten, fifteen. Midnight had said nothing and continued not to do so as Jameson counted up the lines, arranged, in batches of five, on the defaced wall. Yes, I was right. We're still here, and it's Christmas Eve. Outside of the tiny shack on the diminutive patch of land, waves crashed against the minuscule shoreline. And farther out from there, for miles and miles around, as far and much farther than Jameson's two eyes, or Midnight's one, could see, was nothing but an endless stretch of ocean, offering nothing in the way of comfort, Christmas cheer, or answers as to how they'd gotten there. What's that, Mr. Polar Bear? Oh, you're right. I haven't done a proper introduction. Here goes. <clears throat> Greetings, Tiny Tots, with your eyes all aglow, and welcome to the inscrutable Banks Brothers Electronic Storytime Christmas Special If the Fates Allow I'm Santiago the Snowman and I'll be serving as your humble narrator Now tear open the windows and throw up the sash so our story may begin Millicent Brimblebanks had made no effort to keep track of the specific number of days. How long had she been walking through this desolate wood? She had no idea. Some days seemed to stretch on as long as weeks, while others went by in a flash. But always the scenery was the same. Grey, twisted, leafless trees, a damp, mossy ground, and deep black holes that she could not see the bottom of. Sometimes she would gaze too long into the holes, and she was almost sure she could hear something calling from them. Millicent. Thank you. No, I don't think I need company that badly. Millicent had always made her own way in the world, and had sworn she didn't need anyone at all. But now, well, was she in the world at all? And that notion of not needing anyone was being tested. There's a way out of this, Millicent Brimblebanks, and you're going to find it. And then, though she had made no effort to count the days, she felt it. A little shiver of excitement mixed with melancholy and blended with rose-tinted nostalgia. Dash it all. It's Christmas Eve. 
Bentley Brimblebanks, like the others, did not know where he was. But whether he was surrounded by twisted trees or endless oceans, he had no way of knowing. He was enveloped in an impenetrable fog, and the only thing he could see was the slight amber glow of the lantern he'd forgotten where he found or how long he'd been holding. You're no help, you know. The only thing you've lit up this whole time is my blasted forearm. Bentley knew it was nonsensical to grumble at the lantern, but he had a rather intense need to grumble at something, and it was the only available receptacle. He felt no breeze, but the light in the lantern flickered slightly. No, 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 I didn't mean it. I know you're doing the best you can. Don't go out, please. Please don't go out. Bentley stared nervously for some time at the flame. It did not waver again. He gazed deeply into it and tried to convince himself that he was warmed by the small fire, as he had so often been warmed by the grand fire in the stone hearth at Brimblebank's Manor, especially on Christmas Eve. Lucinda Brimblebanks was just as bereft of human companionship as her sister and cousins, though she was not alone. She walked along cold stone corridors in a castle that certainly seemed empty, but was so vast she could never quite be sure. Rolling along beside her was the family's robotic servant, the Voxbot 5000. Would you like me to tell you a story to pass the time, Miss Lucinda? Thank you, no, Voxbot. Perhaps you'd like me to play an old episode of the Inscrutable Bimblebanks Brothers Electronic Story Time for you? I have them all saved on my internal drive. That won't be necessary. Perhaps you'd like to hear episode three, Heart and Soul, when you made your first appearance? Good lord, no. That was so long ago I hardly recognize my own voice. Perhaps the first episode would be most appropriate, since it takes place on Christmas Eve. Why do you say that? Because tonight is Christmas Eve. We've been here that long already. I must have completely lost track. Would you like to hear a story? No! Jameson opened up the last can of tuna he'd found in the shack using his Danish navy knife. Don't worry, Midnight. There's a fishing pole on the little island, too. I'll be able to get food for us, but I'm afraid this will be the last of the delicacies. He snapped the can opener tool back into the device. Bentley mocked me a bit about purchasing this, you know. Oh, and are you going to run away from Brimblebank's Manor and join the Danish Navy? You know you don't need a pocket knife with a serrated blade to cut down your stories a bit. <laughs> but it has been rather useful for us so far. You understand, Midnight. You carry retractable claws wherever you go. Midnight did not understand exactly what Jameson was saying. But she did understand that she was getting wet, delicious food and eagerly began munching away at it as soon as it was placed in front of her. Millicent, for her part, continued to walk through the bleak woods in hopes of finding a meal of her own. Once again, a voice whispered to her from one of the halls. Thank you. Yes, I'm already well aware of my own name. Do you have anything else of value to offer? No, I thought not. I mean, I gather I'm in another dimension somewhere already. 
given that there are weird voids all over the forest with creepy voices whispering my name. But could you perhaps point me to where a girl could get some broccoli quinoa? Butternut tamales? An apple? Lucinda and Foxbot turned a corner and found another unexplored room in the desolate palace. But unlike how empty most of the rest of the home had been, this one was quite full, but all of one thing. Mirrors. How peculiar. Indeed, the mirrors are arranged like a labyrinth. A hall of mirrors. I don't suppose you've ever been to a fair before, Voxbot, but there are sometimes attractions rather like these there. Are they fun? I believe they are meant to be, but I've never understood the appeal myself. So we're not going in? We have yet to find a room in this place with either a window or a door to the outside. Yes, Voxbot, we have to keep looking. We're going in. Bentley, still aimlessly wandering through a fog, pondered the inevitabilities of his situation. Utterly alone, completely lost, and confoundingly confused, his fate seemed almost certain. Well, I shall certainly go mad here. That shouldn't be so bad. As it stands now, I'm quite unhappy being lost and alone in an impenetrable fog, but I might not mind it so much when I go mad. Perhaps I should skip the waiting and just jump straight ahead into lunacy. Let's see, hmm. I am an octopus that devours daydreams. Left-handed skyscrapers birth tap-dancing ice cream parlors. Vaccines cause autism. Hmm. All seems a bit contrived. I suppose I shall have to be patient and wait to go mad on my own. Jameson, having flirted with madness in the past, was less keen to embrace it once again, and wondered if the bottle of sherry he had found in the cabin might help stave it off. Well, I had been waiting to open it, but I guess Christmas Eve might be the proper occasion. Besides, he was pleased to get to use the corkscrew function on his Danish navy knife. It's my own fault, Midnight. Did you know that? This may sound funny, because I know you're my cat, too, and you love me, but whenever it's time for us to tell a story, well, it's Bentley's lap you curl up in. When you see your bowl empty, it's my brother you meow to. Recently, I found myself wishing I could have a little time alone with you, and, well, one must be careful when wishing in Brimblebank's manner, don't you think? Millicent had taken a seat in the Grey Forest next to one of the halls and had been telling it an abridged version of her life story. And that's when my dog shoved my evil cousin into one of the Taz in reality and they both tumbled into another dimension. My sister, my other cousins and I managed to finish the story and save reality, but my dog was lost. Are you still listening? Millicent. I think... I think it's my own fault that this happened. I've been looking for other ways to open up holes into other dimensions, you know, to try to get my dog back, and I think... I think maybe something went wrong, and that's what sent me here. Do you hear that? Millicent left the featureless hole and the disembodied voice behind, and walked a short way until she found a sad brown stream. Next to it, a crow was tangled in a thin wire someone had strung between two trees. I'll get you out. 
But as Millicent struggled with the wire, she found herself unable to disentangle the poor bird from its snare. You've got yourself good and caught, my friend, but I'll get you out somehow. Lucinda and Voxbot strolled through an endless labyrinth surrounded by their own reflections. I'm getting more than a little sick of seeing my face everywhere I turn. It's a lovely face. Thank you for that, Voxbot. Still, it is rather tedious not seeing anyone others. My face is here, too. I- yes, I'm sorry. Of course it is, Voxbot. I only meant... Any other living faces? Yes. Dear Lord, Voxbot, I think I know why this happened. Of course. I'm being punished. Punished? For what I did to Tobin. For what I did to his face. He used you. He broke your heart. I know. And at the time I thought that justified everything. But to take away a man's face forever... Your sister. Your cousins. They all forgave you. But Tobin never will. And I'm not sure I will myself. Lucinda stopped and stared deeply into one of the reflections. She saw her own face every day but sometimes it seemed entirely foreign to her. Bentley, for his part, could still see nothing but his hand and the lamp he was holding. Well, Lamp, I don't know where I am, why I'm here, or how I got here, but at least I can tell you this. I'm sure it isn't my fault. Midnight perched on Jameson's shoulder, and the two of them stood on the little dock on the private island and stared out at the rolling sea. You know, Midnight, I sometimes think I prefer Christmas Eve to Christmas itself. That's where the real magic is, you know. Perhaps it's all the magic Father Christmas puts into the world as he's making his rounds, but I think, really, it's the anticipation. What will the next day bring? What will I receive? How will my friends and family like what I gave them? Will Midnight enjoy her new treats? Sorry, Midnight. I shouldn't have said that word. I'm afraid I haven't any treats. I don't have any presents to give anyone this year. All I've got with me is my trusty Danish Navy knife, with its large knife, smaller knife, screwdriver, wire cutter, bottle opener, divining rod, wooden stake, abacus, Yeti Whistle, the key to the Book of Whispers, and Philip's Head Screwdriver. Perhaps, perhaps it will feel a bit more like Christmas if I give it away. And with that, Jameson tipped the bottle of sherry, pouring the rest of it into the sea. He slipped the Danish Navy knife through the conveniently large mouth of the bottle, replaced the cap, and threw the bottle far out into the ocean. There. I hope it finds its way to someone who likes it. Happy Christmas, whoever you are. Millicent continued to pull in vain at the wire ensnaring the panicked crow. It's no use. I'm only managing to cut my fingers and scare the poor bird even more. If only I had anything else to... Millicent stopped mid-sentence at the sight of something bobbing along the creek towards her. She ran towards the water's edge, slipping slightly in the mud and arriving just in time to reach what turned out to be a glass bottle. Rattling around inside of it was... A Danish navy knife. Wait a minute. What are some of the tools on these again? Serrated blade, compass, windsock, smelling salts, frying pan, sacrificial ebony blade... There it is! Wire cutters! 
Millicent raced back up the slope and over to the trapped bird. She placed her hand gently on its side. Just hold still, my friend. It's going to be okay. The bird seemed somehow to understand. Or at least it stopped struggling for some reason. Using the wire cutters, Millicent had the crow loose in just a few snips. There! You're free! The crow hopped to its feet, fluttered its wings quickly, and then flew off into the sky, never once looking back. That's right, little bird. Get out of here! Happy Christmas! Oh, hush now. I'm through listening to you. Lucinda and Voxbot continued through the labyrinth, with Voxbot occasionally accidentally rolling face first into a mirror. Ouch. Eventually, Lucinda noticed something unusual in one of the reflections. A gleam of light. A window! Lucinda led Voxbot through the maze until they found the window in the stone wall. She opened it and stuck her head out. Looks like we're on the third floor. Much too high to get out from here, but it is nice to see the outside world at all after so long inside this bleak mansion. Lucinda turned in the direction of the sound. A small black bird was flying over the trees in the distance. Just a simple, everyday crow. And yet, the sight of another living thing after so long thrilled her. There's a bird out there in the distance, Voxbot. It's beautiful. And while in polite society, Lucinda was not typically one for displays of exuberance, she was moved to lean out the window and call to it. She took her long, white scarf off from around her neck and waved it in the air. Happy Christmas, you beautiful bird. The wind surged suddenly and pulled the scarf out of Lucinda's hand and it flew away into the darkening night sky. But she didn't mind it. It was Christmas Eve, and there was still life out there. Bentley, though, had not seen such signs. I'm a solitary fellow, Lantern, it's true. But even this is a bit much in the way of solitude for me. I miss my cat. I miss my brother. I miss my robot. I miss my blasted cousins, even. Do Lanterns have family? Is there a lamp or nightlight you wish you could see? There it was, Bentley thought. He was asking a lamp about its family. He knew if he was just patient enough, he was going to go mad. And here it was. Just then, as he was settling comfortably into the delusion, something struck him in the face. It didn't hurt, though. It was soft. Fabric. He set the lamp down to get a better feel for it. It was long and thin. It's a scarf. Bentley wrapped the scarf around his neck and enjoyed the warmth. The sensation felt not quite like, but a little like, a hug. It was nice. He felt a bit warmer than just the scarf might have made him. He reached down to pick up the lantern again but found it was gone. What the devil? He saw the faint light bobbing around in the fog some ten feet away, and growing. He bent down and felt where he had set it down. Water! He was standing at the edge of some body of water, and hadn't even noticed. Good lord, another step and I might have been in it. 
and I can't see if it's a lake, a river, or an ocean. The lamp drifted further and further off. Well, that's lost now, but it wasn't doing me much good anyway. All things being equal, I think I'll take the scarf. Goodbye, little lantern. Happy Christmas. Jameson turned and began to walk back into the cabin, but stopped when he heard Midnight chattering. What is it, girl? He turned to see what had drawn the cat's attention. It was a small spot of light bobbing in the water off in the distance. Well, it's coming very slowly, but I don't have anywhere else to be. Do you, Midnight? So we wait. But it didn't take long for the lantern to make its way to the island's tiny shoreline. He picked it up and felt confused for a moment. Hang on a tick. First the tide took the bottle away, and then it brought this lantern to me? Which way is it going? Yes, I suppose that's so. Oh, I know just the thing. Jameson carried the cat and the lantern indoors. There was a small fireplace inside the cabin and wood all set for a fire, but there had been no way to light it. He opened the lantern, took a small stick of wood from the fireplace, and used it to transfer some fire from the lantern to the fireplace. It didn't take long for the cabin to be filled with a soft orange glow. There now. That feels a bit more like Christmas, doesn't it? But Midnight was already fast asleep, contentedly curled up next to the fire. Millicent, too, relaxed against a tree, and Bentley, deep in the fog, enjoyed the scarf's embrace. But while Lucinda felt a little better, she was still wistful. It must be Christmas by now, Miss Lucinda. Yes, it must be. What are you thinking of? I was thinking of the first time I visited Brimblebank's Manor. Millicent was just a baby, so I must have been six years old. Bentley and Jameson were already alone in the house by that time. I don't remember much about the visit, but I do remember my mother sitting at the piano and playing something so beautiful. What song was it? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Of course. That's right, Foxbot. You were there, too. Oh, how I'd love to hear my mother play the piano again. As you wish, Miss Lucinda. What do you mean, Foxbot? I thought it was beautiful, too, so I kept a recording of it on my hard drive all this time. I can play it for you now if you'd like. I would like that, Foxbot. Very much. But before you start, just let me say how happy I am that you're here to share Christmas with me. Happy Christmas, Lucinda. Happy Christmas, Voxbot. And when the Voxbot 5000 accessed her memory of that night, impossibly, Millicent, Bentley, and Jameson somehow could hear the piano in the distance too. And though they could not hear one another, each in time was moved to sing. Have yourself a merry Christmas, let your heart be light. Next year all our troubles will be out of sight. 
had not changed. Bentley wondered for a moment why, when he was singing alone to himself, he had chosen to sing harmony instead of melody. Jameson held Midnight close and felt the gentle rumbling of her purring against his chest. It reminded him of a Christmas back at Brimblebank's Manor. He could see himself in his mind's eye in the living room of his lifelong home. Bentley and Millicent standing next to a roaring fire and engaging in a friendly disagreement over which of them best knew how to mind it. The alluring aroma of baking gingerbread wafted in from the kitchen. Lucinda sitting at the piano, softly playing a familiar tune. Jameson turned to the Christmas tree and the slight membrane of water gathering over his eyes made the lights refract and twinkle in the most pleasant way. It was a memory of his favorite Christmas. But just when was that? Ah, yes. I remember. That's next year. You have been listening to the Inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers Electronic Storytime presentation of If the Fates Allow Written by Brody H. Brocky Starring Justin Vidovic as Jameson Brimblebanks Brody H. Brocky as Bentley Brimblebanks Leah Bauer as Millicent Brimblebanks Colleen Stano as Lucinda Brimblebanks and Derek Gokenauer as Santiago the Snowman. Brian Rose provided the piano accompaniment for Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which was written by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine. Lucy Bauer created this episode's cover art. Until we meet again, have yourself a merry little Christmas now. <laughs>